The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Dr. Jillian Fry. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Health Sciences at Towson University, where she researches the intersection of public health, the food system, and environmental sustainability. Dr. Fry works on shifting American diets to improve human health and reduce resource use and greenhouse gas emissions associated with our food system. She is particularly interested in understanding and addressing barriers impeding dietary shifts, and she has extensive experience communicating policy-relevant scientific evidence to community members, policymakers, and journalists. Dr. Fry earned an MPH or a Master's of Public Health from the University of New Mexico and a PhD at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Welcome, Dr. Fry. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I became aware of a wonderful paper that you recently published. The title is A Tale of Two Urgent Food System Challenges, Comparative Analysis of Approaches to Reduce High Meat Diets, and wasted food as covered in U.S. newspapers. So you took a deep dive into how two critical issues with regard to climate change and the food system are framed in newspapers. Tell me, why did you decide to look at message framing in the news? So I have been interested in how to shift our diets towards sustainability and health for a long time. And the progress that we've made from 15, 20 years ago is very good in terms of the scientific knowledge we have about what is the current situation with the food system, what do we need to do, like a quantification, what in terms of math, how different should our diets be and how different should the way that we deal with food waste and the way we prevent food waste, what are the actual numbers and targets of what we, where we have to get to in order to meet our goals in terms of climate change and other things? And the reason that I decided to do this paper and the way that the questions formulated in my mind was I saw how food waste is presented and how stakeholders approach food waste. So food waste is not very controversial. It doesn't mean it's not a difficult problem to address. It certainly is. It gets more difficult when we try to prevent food waste, which is really where we can make the greatest impact. But it's not really controversial. Mostly everyone is on board. People don't like food waste. It's easy to understand, and it seems like an important problem that people are pretty much on board doing something about. Now, I'm simplifying, but in general. But that's not really the case for shifting our diets. That's not too surprising. 
being told maybe or feeling like we're being told what we should eat or hearing that what we eat is a problem that we need to change, that is very personal. It's part of our culture. So it is a more complicated problem, absolutely. But what we know through the scientific literature is that there is no doubt that both of these food system issues need to be dealt with to address climate change and to address resource use. And the way that we approach and talk about food waste, you know, when there's an effort to reduce food waste or to compost waste or to donate uneaten food, that is really seen as a positive action, a positive effort really across the board. There's really not much disagreement about that or anyone thinking that that's not a good idea. But diet shift, because it's so personal and so complicated and related to economics and agriculture and all of these different kinds of things, it's hotly debated. It's hotly debated. People have very strong feelings about it. I've heard of stories where people who do not agree with the need to shift our diets towards plants for sustainability, people have actually been very angry at a business for offering plant-based options, not a business that has gone to serving all plant-based options, but just really one or two, and some customers get very angry about that. So it's very hotly debated, so I wanted to look at how those issues are framed in the media. Well, why don't we take each of these issues separately? So let's first start with food waste or food loss. And I thought it was interesting that you pointed out, and I think rightfully so, that when we read about food waste in the media, we read more about food waste rather than food loss. And you have put those two terms together. But I wonder if you could tell us what really is the nuance there. What is the difference between food waste and food loss? Sure. So food waste is really what consumers are more familiar with. The food waste that we see, either if we've worked in a restaurant or a grocery store or in our own homes, food waste is food that is supposed to be eaten, but it ends up being discarded. It's not consumed. And then food loss is something that happens really more at the earlier stages of the food supply chain. So where things, where food is produced, where it is processed, most food has to be shipped around, maybe in multiple trucks or ships or even on airplanes. And so food that something kind of goes wrong where the supply and demand doesn't add up, a refrigerated truck fails, that kind of thing. So it's earlier in the supply chain. Okay. Now, what's so interesting is that you show the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has a food recovery hierarchy. And it's great. It shows in a pyramid structure what is most preferred versus least preferred. So the most preferred way to reduce food waste and loss is to simply reduce the volume of extra food generated. And the very bottom is that the last thing you want to do is stick it in a landfill because that's going to have the most negative impact on the environment. But what was so interesting from your paper, and I never really picked up on this from media reports, 
is that you notice that the topics discussed under reducing food waste really don't touch on source reduction. They focus on diverting that excess to hungry people, and they talk about composting, but they don't talk about the need to produce less volume that's just going to end up in surplus. And in fact, at the conferences that I attend, say agriculture conferences, for example, you always hear this introductory line, we're going to have all of these billions of people to feed, we've got to produce more food. But when you look at the food waste data, whoa, we need to certainly cut back on waste, maybe we wouldn't have to produce so much. Yes, this is such an important issue with food waste. I am so glad that there is a lot more attention and awareness and knowledge about food waste. It's fantastic. Now, the things that we're doing, that we're mostly doing, it makes sense because it's kind of the low-hanging fruit for food waste. So we're really going for the easiest things first, and that's fine. We're making really good progress on that. But the food recovery hierarchy from the EPA is absolutely critical for anyone interested in these issues to read, to look at, and we need to challenge ourselves and policymakers need to challenge themselves and businesses and organizations to figure out how to move towards the harder interventions and changes that have a much larger impact. You know, if food is wasted at the consumer stage, like in our homes or at the retailer stage in restaurants or grocery stores, we cannot produce less food to solve that problem. So we actually, we do have to address food waste at every stage. So like one example of source reduction is at the retail stage, to serve smaller serving sizes. So when there are large serving sizes given to consumers, and it's really more than anyone could eat or should eat, perhaps, that is contributing, and it's making it much more likely that some of that will be wasted. Even if it is taken home as leftovers, maybe it won't you know, make it all the way to be eaten as leftovers. And I will say, I absolutely love taking advantage of leftovers. So that's not a form of food waste that happens in my house (laughs) very often. I love taking something home and having my next meal taken care of. Right. But we can prevent food waste at all of the stages of the supply chain. It doesn't just have to be at the agricultural stage. So in a retail setting, they could serve smaller portions and you know, a portion that's a good fitting for what someone is likely to eat. And then there, that is a form of source reduction, even though it's not at the production stage. So we really do need to challenge ourselves to move towards those very high impact interventions and strategies. And there are very good reasons why we are really doing a better job of diverting uneaten food, feeding it to animals or donating it or composting. Those are a lot of work, but they are easier than preventing the food waste in the first place. Right. And you also noticed from the news coverage of food waste 
that most of the efforts to reduce waste are focused on consumer behavior, but very little discussion really goes on around policy. And I don't know whether that's because newspaper publishers and editors think that it won't be as widely read or as salient to sell papers, but I think unless we talk about the policy issues as well, I don't think we're going to get as far in the food waste reduction mission. Exactly. This is a very large problem, and individual actions in at the household level and even at the business level, they're very important. But we do really need to move towards those widespread policy approaches. One example of a policy approach that some people might not think of as a policy approach, but is getting some traction in the food waste space, is the way that we spend money. That is a policy decision. So one example where we did see a relevant policy where it was a lot of advice in the newspaper articles for how people should change things at home, the place where we saw some movement on policy is grants available from either local or state or federal government agencies to start a project that either prevents food waste, it was more common that it was something like a composting program or funding to create the infrastructure to create a donation system for food to get consistently donated to organizations that help people dealing with hunger. So that's one place where we did see some policy, just the way that that money is being spent to support those efforts. But yes, you're right. You bring up a great point where journalists are writing about food waste and giving very practical advice to individuals for how to prevent food waste in their own homes, which is very important. But I would challenge those journalists to include something where they're writing that to remind people and inform people about the importance of those much more impactful, broader scale approaches at the policy level. Right. And I also think it's important to report on things like what happens when there is a disruption in the food system, as we saw during the pandemic. There were some isolated reports that I read, specifically looking at Midwestern feedlots and Midwestern slaughterhouses where we saw a lot of animals needing to be slaughtered because they just couldn't be processed and reach the grocery stores fast enough. So I want to see more of that as well as everything that's already reported. But I think part of media literacy education is stepping back and looking at what's presented, but then also asking what's missing. What's going on that we need to still know about to really better understand the whole food waste problem. Absolutely. And I really agree with you about reporting on the disruptions. And the pandemic was an example where there was some reporting about the disruptions and products that had, you know, milk being produced that where there was no demand for it and that kind of thing. And It's very interesting to me the increased awareness and knowledge of those types of logistics 
just how complicated all those different stages are of supply chains in general, which yeah. we've learned through the pandemic, but food supply chains in particular, because in a lot of cases, we're dealing with perishable items. You know, it's not like lawn furniture that is not coming into the store. So I agree with you that the awareness and the knowledge of those disruptions are very important. And the more that the public knows about that, then we can push those policy changes to make those food supply chains more resilient. Absolutely. Okay, let me take one break because we are halfway through. And I just want to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are speaking today with Dr. Jillian Fry. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Health Sciences at Towson University, where she researches the intersection of public health, the food system, and environmental sustainability. And in particular, we are diving into a very interesting paper, and I will provide a link to the paper for our listeners. But it basically looks at media coverage of two urgent food system challenges. One is food waste, and the other is how we see stories in the press about meat and high meat diets. So since we've taken a chunk of our time to talk about food waste, before we dive into meat, is there anything else that you want to bring forth from this paper about food waste in particular before we move on? A couple of just main takeaways that we saw in the food waste space that I will describe because it's quite different than what we found with dietary shifts was that we saw in the news that addressing food waste was framed very positively, which is not a surprise, you know, just based on conversations I'm sure that your listeners have. That's not really surprising. And we found that there are very robust coalitions of all sorts of groups, nonprofits, for-profit companies, government agencies at various levels, a lot of collaboration and coalitions working together, many times with government funding from different levels. And that was fascinating. And I'm very happy to see that for the food waste space. I'm glad that people are on board with addressing that and it has become a priority. And we found very different framing and involvement of different stakeholders on our other topic. Mm -hmm. And I think we should probably emphasize the role of media and how critically important it is in both shaping and reflecting public perception, which therefore goes into shape policy. When I see somebody who works in the public health space looking at media messaging and framing, I am just delighted because I think that if we're going to move the dial, and it is urgent that we do so, I think we have to look at the way messages are presented to us so that we can make the best decisions. Why don't we look at meat? Because this is framed a little bit differently. And when things are presented as food waste is as a fact, you know, we've got food waste, we have to manage it, it's not good for the environment. But in terms of reducing or shifting how we eat, that's more debatable, and there are lots of reasons for that. 
You know, the Dietary Guidelines Committee was certainly pressured at the last go-round to include sustainability into our dietary guidelines. They really weren't. I'm hoping that we're going to see a change now, and maybe your paper can help move that dial. But what did you find in media coverage that stood out to you when it came to needing to reduce high meat diets in order to mitigate climate change? Sure. And I'll just back up a second before I answer your question. If we take a critical look at the scientific literature on this topic, on the resources that are used to produce different types of food products, there's a growing number of studies and reports that have been coming out in various regions of the world focused on sometimes a certain country, sometimes the whole world. And when we look at the typical U.S. diet and we look at the resources that are available on Earth and the average global diet, what we see is that Americans eat way more meat and dairy and other animal products compared to the average person on Earth. We're certainly not trying to have a diet that uses the least amount of resources possible. It takes resources to produce food. That's a fact. But if we just look at how much land does it take, how much water, how much fertilizer and fuel and all of these types of things, we see that the typical American diet is just simply not sustainable. That's due to climate change, but it's due to other reasons as well water use being one of them. And so what has been amazing for me to see, because I'm someone who has been really interested in in these issues for many years, is to see that the reports are coming out from different organizations, different researchers, and they have a very clear message that the typical U.S. diet and countries where the diet is similar to ours is just simply not sustainable. And middle-income countries that are moving towards our dietary patterns, it just all kind of combines to be a very bad situation in terms of sustainability. So the U.S., our diet really sticks out in being pretty unsustainable because of all the resources that are needed to produce animal products. And all of these reports and studies that have come out, the conclusion has been the same. And I was thinking, I don't think that conclusion is coming through in the media not like it is for food waste. People are really on board with that. It's very obvious. It's easy to understand. But I said, I think it would be really interesting to do an analysis of this media coverage because these high-profile reports have been coming out. So I know it's being covered in the newspaper. And, you know, I see certain articles, but I figured let's do a systematic analysis. Let's capture the waste uh, newspaper articles, diet newspaper articles, and see how they differ. And we were expecting that they would be framed differently. And boy, they really were framed differently. So for a dietary shift, what was really striking was when these big reports that were coming out, like really top-level experts and scientists coming out with reports and papers that were huge efforts to look at what do we need to do to make the food system more sustainable, The way that they were often framed and covered in newspaper articles was one of the experts 
would be quoted and talking about the findings from their report. And then the article would also quote an industry representative. So, you know, somebody, for example, from like the Cattlemen's Association, the trade association. And what we realized was that this issue is being framed as though it is an open debate and an earlier media analysis paper looking at the U.S. and the way that climate change is framed. And to your point, you know, these types of studies where we look very critically at how these important issues are covered in the media are very important. And and my work has been informed by earlier papers. We've seen from earlier studies that Climate change was framed as an open debate in the U.S. media for many years, and the agreement among scientists and the frustration that they must feel with, you know, how obvious the science is and the science is really gelling together and has been gelling for many years, telling us that climate change is happening and the things that are causing it, etc., and that framing, it's known, we refer to it as like a both-sides framing that probably played a role in delaying significant action, policy action and otherwise, in the U.S. to deal with climate change. And so one thing that we tried to highlight in the paper was to kind of ring that alarm bell to say, we've seen this before. We have seen this with climate change. I'm sure other issues as well, but climate change is the greatest example and, of course, very related to what we're doing, what journalists are doing in framing these issues. You know, it's really problematic when an expert on sustainable food systems is being quoted and then an industry spokesperson is being quoted, but their quote is not really given the context that it's needed. You know, it's not necessarily a problem to quote an industry representative, but the proper framing and context needs to be alongside that quote so that it's very clear to the reader that we're not quoting an industry representative because they are an expert on food systems and have a different perspective. We're quoting this industry person and their expertise is this industry and they're trying to promote this industry and they're trying to, you know, maintain and grow demand for their products. And that's certainly not how they were framed in the coverage. Right. Well, Dr. Fry, unfortunately, we are out of time. So I am going to direct our readers to your excellent paper. I'll provide a link. And I think, if nothing else, what your excellent paper has done is it's pulled back the curtain to help us see how and why framing in the media truly matters in terms of policy and personal choice, and both are going to be extremely necessary if we are going to make the urgent steps we need to help mitigate climate change. Is there any last message you want to leave our listeners? I thank you so much for highlighting the paper. I would encourage your listeners to think really critically about the way that public health and environmental health issues are framed in the media and talk to their friends and family about who is being quoted in those pieces and when we're interested in something and being told something that we can change ourselves, that's a good place to start, 
but we also need to push for larger scale change with organizations and with policies. Absolutely. All right. We've got to close. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN in Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Jillian Fry, Assistant Professor in the Department of Health Sciences at Towson University. She is the author of a terrific paper, A Tale of Two Urgent Food System Challenges, Comparative Analysis of Approaches to Reduce High Meat Diets and Wasted Food as Covered in U.S. Newspapers. Thank you so much for your time today and this work. Thank you.